What's up, everyone? This is episode number 26 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. And this is your host, Kyle. And you guys seem to enjoy that credentials episode last week. A lot of you hopped on either Instagram or Twitter to comment to take a look at some of the cards I referred to in the episode. So I want to thank you for that. For those of you who have yet to follow, my Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter handle is at Wax Museum PC. Uh, make sure to give those a follow if you ever want to know when I've uploaded a new episode or if you ever want to see pictures of some of the things I've talked about. That's the place to do it. Um, so, okay, as some of you know, I live in Florida, the beautiful sunshine state. Well, um, if you've been watching the news this week, you know that it's that time of the year again. It's hurricane season. Currently, Hurricane Dorian is expected to hit Florida as a Category 4. Um, some of you you know, have, have already sent me messages. I just want to say I appreciate that. Uh, unfortunately, this is not my first rodeo. I was here in 2004 when we had three of these things. Two years ago, we had Hurricane Irma, which ended up being a Category 2. Um, so the wind got up to about 100 miles per hour then. That one was interesting because it was my first hurricane as a homeowner. You kind of look at things in a different light then. There was uh, about an hour during that hurricane where the eye of the storm was going over us and, and things were pretty scary. We had taken cover. Uh, the power was out. You know, The house was shaking. Everything was kind of creaking. Um, I kept looking out on the back patio to see if the screens had been ripped off or not. Um, thankfully they didn't everyone in our house was safe the house itself was safe but overall it's just a pretty nerve-wracking experience Um, so as far as next week goes I I plan on having the podcast as usual provided I have power and internet and all that good stuff Um, if there's not an episode though or if things are delayed just hang in there just know that real life got in the way Um, you know otherwise I do plan on having one up well I'm on the subject of natural disasters though Um, Obviously, if you're in this situation, your family and your friends and and everyone's safety takes priority. Make sure that people are safe and people are accounted for. With that being said, though, this is a cardboard podcast, so I want to run through a few suggestions real quick for collectors that might find themselves in harm's way. Uh, You know, I can't say I follow all of these to a T, but I think people need to at least know their options. So um, first off, if you're dealing with the threat of a hurricane or fire or even theft, It's really a good idea to have an itemized inventory of your nicer cards, complete with pictures. Um, You know, don't just have that on paper. Don't just put it on your hard drive. You need a digital backup of this as well. Put it on your preferred cloud storage. You know, put it on a flash drive and give that to somebody else that lives somewhere else. Um, But in some way, have a a backup copy of that. Um, If you want to insure your collection, you need to talk with your insurance agent. Do not rely on message boards or a Google search to give you this advice. Talk with your agent, see what your household or your accident coverage covers, and then work it out with them. If you don't like their policy, there are agencies that specialize in memorabilia collections. A fairly popular one that I've heard of, I've never used them though, is collectinsure.com. So that might be something to consider. Now, let's say, though, that you're facing, uh, you're, maybe you're in my spot, you're facing a potential hurricane. So the big thing here, you know, don't worry about protecting all your little dollar and $10 cards. You know, take care of your nice ones first and then go from there. 
you know, you can always try and protect everything, but obviously you, you want to prioritize stuff. The more waterproof barriers you can create, the better. So maybe you want to put your nicest stuff in a safe. Um, the rest you might seal in gallon size Ziploc bags, and then maybe you'll zip tie garbage bags around it. Um, you might consider plastic totes. Anything that seals um, and keeps your collection off the ground. I've seen people suggest you put your cards in an attic. I think that's a horrible idea. You know, what if a limb falls on the top of your house? So anyway, you know your house. You know the logistics. Weigh the options. Think about what works best for you. But most importantly, you need to stay safe. Okay. Uh, with that out of the way, let's move on to today's main topic, which is a set that has been a bit of a mystery over the years. And those of you that are regular listeners, you know Adam. Uh, well, this is a conversation that he and I recorded before the National. I've been anxious for you guys to hear it, so now is that time, and I hope you enjoy. All right, so I'm here with Adam today. Uh, Adam, first off, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Kyle. And um, so, Adam, I've, I've got you here because I want to give my audience here a chance and my listeners a chance to be exposed to all different sets and years of basketball cards. And we talk a lot about modern stuff. Um, you know I love vintage stuff. I know you're into vintage stuff as well. So I figured, why don't we do this conversation together? There are mainstream vintage sets out there that people know of, but you've got something that's really obscure that you're passionate about, that you're interested in, that you want to talk about. Um, do you want to introduce that set for us today? Yeah, I'd love to. It's the 1968 Topps Test Series. All right, so the the Test Series, and I mentioned there were mainstream releases out there. So Topps' last series before this Test Series was 1957. Um, then we had a break in licensed basketball cards. If you missed episode one, go back, listen to it. I covered all of this. Um, but then Fleer came around in 1961, and then we didn't get another licensed set until 1969. This test set, however, was from 1968. Um, Adam, you know a decent amount about this, and you own several cards from this set. Can you tell us a little bit about the logistics of the set? What do we know? There's a lot of mystery, but what do we know about this set? Yeah, I would uh, I would love to tell you um, a, a lot about it, and I will try it. I will try to not be too too long winded. But the first thing that I'll tell you about the test or about the the sixty eight tops test set is actually how I um, how I was introduced to it, and it's it's funny that I can remember this um, remember this moment, but I remember um, I don't know what issue it is of of Beckett basketball, but. For those of us who are very familiar with Beckett um, from from the really from the 1990s, there there existed a time a period in the hobby where every month we got a new Beckett uh, magazine, and you would open the magazine and there were basically two sections: um, the front and the back of the of the magazine was articles and other kind of cool things that you could read, and then in the middle of the magazine was was basically everything from 1948 Bowman up to the most the, the newest release. Well, in the middle of all of these uh, Becketts that came out every month, I remember one month in particular where I opened the magazine, and I can't remember when this was. So I would love if any of your if any of the people who listen to you uh, uh, remember remember this or have have any record of this. But I remember opening a Beckett and seeing 1948 Bowman. 1957 tops 
1961 Flair, 1968 Topps test. And I remember seeing it and looking at it and going, wait, what is that thing? Like, what is? what are these cards that I've never seen before? And I don't remember if there was an article that was written about it or, or why they included, included the set in that particular in that particular Beckett, but I remember looking at the prices thinking that the prices couldn't possibly be right because they were so much higher than the the sets after it and before it and cards like, cards that were a player's, you know, second card like the Wilt Chamberlain were even worth more than the rookie card and I thought, why, why is that, why could that be? And then I didn't see anything of this set for years and years and years. And then um, all of a sudden one day on eBay, a Wilt Chamberlain PSA 1 that's qualified actually with an MK um, showed up and I was shocked because again I remembered the set now real, remember, real again, quick can you um, just ex- what's the NK for people that don't aren't familiar with that so I should know but I've just always thought of it as marked I okay. don't know why it would be MK why MK would stand for marked but it actually has a little pen mark on, on the card um and so I saw it there and I thought, is this what I think it is? This is that set that I remember from when I was young. And I, and I had seen, you know, things on it through the year, every, through the years, every once in a while, you'd see one come up for auction and you'd hear something about it. So I did some, some cursory, uh, um, studying on the set. Um, like I said, I, I knew about it. I was interested in, in acquiring a card from it. I didn't ever anticipate it would be a Will Chamberlain. I didn't anticipate it would be a one <laughs> either. But uh, but I but I did that little bit of research, and after about you know five minutes of, of, of remembering the things that I already knew and p- putting it all together, I thought I've got to buy this. And so I paid what I needed to to be able to acquire the card. Um, and really since that time have, have, have learned more and more about the card. There's not a lot of cards to the set. I believe it's 22 cards total are in the set. The fronts are very basic. They're actually black and white. The, the image will remind uh, vintage fans of 71 tops uh, because uh, the the font on the bottom and the, the the picture and everything looks looks similar to how you would anticipate or how, how the 71 tops cards look look um, and then on the reverse of the card the 22 cards make up a puzzle of Wilt Chamberlain uh, dunking dunking the card it's actually the same image that is used on the front of the Wilt Chamberlain card the card the set uh, out of the 22 uh, players something like, 15 or 16 of them are Hall of Famers, and 14 of them are members of the NBA's greatest 50 team, with a handful of them actually having their very first card come within this set. Perhaps the most interesting part about the set is how rare it is, but I don't want to. I don't want to keep talking, so I want. I want to pause for a second. What what uh, what kinds of questions do you have uh, other than what I've addressed? So well, far? um, I want to just and and you know more about this set than I do, but I do want to try and um, maybe piece it together. I liked how you talked about the fronts look very much like the '71 cards, minus all the bright pinks and oranges and all that stuff that really makes '71 what it is. Um, the back yeah. you mentioned is a puzzle. Um, for those of you that are into vintage baseball, there is some continuity there because the um, the two All Star sets and I, and I I actually do um, I'm I'm trying to get the '68 set signed. I know that will never happen because there's 
multiple Clementes in there. But um, the all-star cards in those in that 68 baseball set, those make puzzles as well. And I think it's Orlando Cepeda and I want to say Carl Yastrzemski. Um, so it's kind of a similar idea here that they're doing except this entire set because there's only, what, like 22 cards? Is that right? Um, this, 22 cards. 22 yeah. cards, right? So this entire set makes up this puzzle of Wilt Chamberlain dunking. And when you said that, you know, this information just kind of all of a sudden showed up um, from everything I've read, that's that's kind of we're still kind of discovering stuff about this set, which is, you know, it's crazy. Here we are 51 years later and we're still putting, right. you know, we talked about the puzzle of the set itself. Well, we're still putting the pieces together of a set that's been around for that long. So it's almost as if, yeah, it's existed, but it's kind of been, it went into hiding for what, you know, probably 40 years, 30 or 40 years, right? which, you know, is, is crazy to think about. So tell us a little bit more about this set. As far as the, okay. uh, I would say the appeal has definitely increased a lot as the, as our knowledge of the set has gone up over the years, right? Right. So what's interesting is, you know, why why was it created is is the first question and and then and then you know how how many of each are, are out there why why is it so rare well people have sort of guessed or tried to try to figure out what what tops was doing in, in creating the set so what people have i think what people have guessed is that um tops was looking for the like you, like you pointed out for the first time since 1957 it may be creating a new basketball set well they they to do that one thing that they might have needed to do was to get buy off from the NBA for licensing purposes and it's been um, sort of reported that whenever tops would be requesting licensing what they would do is they would create a set and then send it to whether it be the MLB or NFL or NBA send it to them for licensing purposes so um, what is believed is that that in 1967 we can talk about why why it's actually 1967 tops test instead of 1968 in a minute but um, in 1967 the company created this test set um, uh, to for licensing purposes and, and let's define what a test set is real quick um, for those of you who a lot of people who listen to the show they are aware of things like the 1995 um, tops mystery test set where they tested refractors on cards that had borders, um, but those cards never came out of the packs. There's also like the lottery prize tests, the Michael Jordan test card that has the number 23 instead of the number 45 on it. There's a lot of these these um, sets that have been tested through the years in production, but that weren't re released mainstream. And so that's what we believe that they were doing in 1967. The reason that we know that it's 1967 is there are actually several cards in the set that have uh, indicators of this. The most key uh, example of this is that Wilt Chamberlain is in his Philadelphia 76er uniform. By the way, this is the only original Wilt Chamberlain uh, Philadelphia 76er card. Um, there are only, I think, 14 of them known to exist in the world, and, and this is, you know, 
the Philadelphia 76ers team was uh, with Wilt was uh, regarded as perhaps the greatest team of all time. He only has 14 cards in a, in a, in a Philadelphia 76er uniform. And, and so, um, that's the, the reason that we know that it was 67, 68 rather than 68, 69 is by 68, 69, he actually had made his way to the Lakers. Um, there's a couple of other, uh, cards like that in the set where guys had moved teams or in the case of the Hawks, they had moved from, I believe they moved from St. Louis to Atlanta by that point, but the cards are still referenced as St. Louis Hawks cards. So for all these reasons, we know that the card was actually created in 67. The other, the other detail that I'll provide there, sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit, but um, there was a pack that was discovered, a single unopened pack, test pack that was provided in a, in a white envelope that had been sealed and was authorized or um, authenticated by um, the, the largest uh, pack uh, uh, authenticators to be legit and, that, and it had a date on the back of it that it had been delivered and the date was March of 1968, which would represent that it was part of the 67-68 set. So when Beckett originally identified these cards as 68-69 tops test set, it seems that they were wrong. It should be called the 67 68 tops test set but it seems like um kind of beckett set the trend anyway right because psa is has that on their slab as well and everyone's just kind of ran with that and that's kind of um that's kind of the way you know from the reading i've done on this set that's kind of the way that's worked and it's interesting to see you mentioned the pack but to see the progression of um discovering information that we have because for instance I saw um, a message board thread, I think it was on Collector's Universe from 2006. Somebody was asking about the set. They estimated, well, you know, there's probably a dozen for each player. And at one point, people weren't sure if, I think, cards one and four existed, one of them being Wilt. Well, later on, you know, so many of these Wilts, I think there were 12 or 13 that had been graded, so now they're you know that number has changed a little bit. Well, 2011, right. there's an article that says you know we don't have any packs that say test on them, um, and that pack didn't come up for auction until what is probably a couple years ago, maybe. Yeah, I think it was. I have to look, but I think it might have even been t- 2018. It was either 2017 or 2018, though. Right. So we. Um, you know, here we were piecing together. You went almost a decade between that article saying there was no packs and then the actual discovery of a pack. Because a lot of these, it seemed like, um, and you can, I don't want to, hopefully I'm not stepping on anything that you're, you were going to say here, but it was Topps employees or families of Topps employees that kept finding these things. And they're, they're not surfacing really anywhere else. So the discovery of a pack for the the history of this set was really groundbreaking. Right. It's, it's my belief that what's happened here is, is tops created, you know, created this test set, like, like we explained for the purposes of marketing it. They even created a test pack that they wanted to show, you know, what they wanted to show the NBA. Look, this is what this will look like. And then at some point this, this set got scrapped, right? They decided we're not going to do this. Well, those cards weren't destroyed. 
as has unfortunately has been the case for many of uh, Topps' sets. We've we've seen them let things get out of the get out of the factory that were supposed to have serial numbers on them, um, but but weren't, and then were later serial numbered. I think that's the same sort of thing that happened here, where they had a set that wasn't supposed to ever get out. But then it did. And what's funny is that might have gotten out via a single person or via a couple of people. Um, maybe, you know, like you say, maybe some of the families were, were given these cards as, as sort of gifts or, or, or whatever. But um, but I think I think really like we don't we don't know exactly how it got out, but but that's how they got out. They they, they certainly didn't get out via a normal release. There weren't packs or boxes of these that you could buy at your your neighborhood convenience store. That's not what happened here. What happened is they created a test set and then things, you know, things for whatever reason didn't come to fruition on it. Um, and so it left us with, I, I believe probably there was the only, there was only the one single uh, test, test pack that, that was created. The interesting thing, fact about this, I don't know if you read, if you read about this, but um, the owner of that original test pack opened it. Did you know that? I, I think I think you and I have talked about it, but I didn't know about that separately. Okay. Yeah. So he, um, I, I got in contact with him. He pulled, um, if I remember right, he pulled. Uh, there were three cards in the pack, and one of them was Bill Russell, which he sold. I never had a chance at that one. I would have loved a chance at the Bill Russell because that is just a beautiful card. He's. It's a posed card with his arm extended as he's dribbling, and it just it's it shows you it shows you really uh, Russell's length in, in the picture. Um, he he pulled that. Um, he pulled a Jerry Lucas um, that I tried to try to get from him, and I can't remember what the third card was off the top of my head. He's been trying to sell the uh, the um, envelope with the the logo that's been affixed to the to the front which again is what is what tops did with their test packs it's been, yeah it's very rough looking well that's this is what their test packs look like so for for marketing purposes it was just it wasn't hey we're going to create the wax we're going to create the they didn't go through all that they said you know imagine that, that this is what it looks like and so they would take as far as i understand they would take you know an image of what the front of the pack would probably look like and I can see, I've looked it up online here. It's a, uh, the white envelope says basketball booklet in every pack, how to play better basketball with one stick of bubble gum. And that one pack didn't, uh, the test pack didn't actually contain a booklet. It just contained the, the, the three cards. And so once he opened that, it looks like he bought the pack for um, a little bit over $16,000, um, $16,700. And then he, he opened it, but he pulled the Russell and uh, got the other two cards. And what a rush to, to open that. I mean, how, how would it have been for him to open it and get three blank pieces of card stock? You know, it could have been, <laughs> could have been really a tragedy. But Or had uh, they actually he, he inserted the, the gum just to get a bunch of wax-stained cards. <laughs> I wonder if they did. If they, if they did do that. But, um, but he, he opened that pack, and so that's no longer in existence. Wow, um, it takes uh takes guts to do that. It sure does. The other thing that I'll tell you, so this is the other piece that I wanted to make sure that I that I mentioned in this episode that I think is fascinating. So that original article, I think you actually referenced it. It's uh it's on like the PSA website. Yep. It's a really detailed article. It shows an image of each of the twenty two cards and it provides a ton of background. It's one of the better articles that I found there out there on it. 
um, on, on the set. So one of the things that's referenced in that article, so it's from 2011, one of the things that's referenced is the total population graded by PSA to date. And the number is 167. Well, what's interesting, and we, you and I have talked about this before, PSA doesn't do a good job of indicating when cards are graded. This is one thing that Beckett does vastly superior than, than PSA. PSA doesn't ever tell us when a card was graded or how many were graded in a given year or anything like that. But with Beckett, if you're willing to take some time, you can figure it out. The great thing about this article is it gives us a point in time where we knew how many had been graded. So eight years ago, um, as of August 24th, um, to, sorry, August 24th, 2011, um, eight years ago, 167 cards had been graded. Today, 182 cards have been graded. That's for the whole set. That's, right. that's not just the little Chamberlain. So what that means is that in the last eight years, a good percentage of PSA's history, only 15 of these cards have been graded. That is amazing. And that's after the knowledge and the exposure of the set really started to snowball. Exactly. We're not talking about... There's no card, and I, I don't want to you know, get into pumping these cards. There's no card in this set that's worth less than several hundred dollars. These cards are all being graded, even the PSA 1 Will Chamberlain, right? Um, all of these cards are being graded, and in the course of eight years, less than two original 68 TOPS test cards are being graded each year. And to me, that's... That is the indicator of how incredibly rare the set is. And and frankly, um, that is why I love the set. Current cards, you know, you I know I know some of the things that you collect, Kyle. Mm -hmm. You collect some of the rarest patches that are in existence, you know, finals patches that are numbered to one, that are numbered to ten, that are numbered to fifteen. And part of the reason that that's fun is that the chase for something that is truly rare is is fun. You know, 60, 60s baseball cards are incredibly valuable, but the only thing that can make them rare is when they're in mint or perfect condition, right? Um, the same can be said for any of the, the, the vintage cards that we all know and love. I myself have a, a vintage Chamberlain collection that is, is mostly in mint 9 um, PSA condition, and, that, and that's a fun chase for me. But the 1968 top set is the very rare instance where a major manufacturer, Tops, the major manufacturer, produced a quantity of cards so low that regardless of grade, you can't find them. And that right. Chamberlain that I bought um, was the only one that I have ever seen sell from anything but a major auction house. And the major auction houses, I can't find any that have sold really in the last decade. There was a complete set that sold back in, I think it was 2010. But outside of that one cell with the Chamberlain and maybe a couple others where they were complete sets, you cannot find the, the, the high-end cards from this set ever being sold because they just don't exist. They're not out there. They're not out there trading hands to be sold. Well, and, and we can laugh a little bit at, um, you know, not, obviously not every card's a wilt in there. And we can say, yeah, every right. card is an all-star player. So everyone in the set has been an all-star or was an all-star at that time. Um, and but you know, there are you're going to end up. There are some Odie Smiths out there. There are some Jim Kings. Um, but people are lining up for those, 
And well, did Adam, you just take? Did you just take a shot? Did you I, just take a shot at Jim King? I, so Jim King, I how think, dare you? I think Jim how King averaged sixteen points per game twice in his career. Um, Baller. I I think that because I looked those stats up today because I know that Adam owns one, but. Um, so I, I don't want to steal all of your, but I, he he was an all star. So I wanted to kind of um, you know put him on on the status that he deserves. So speaking of, of such, then what which ones do you own, and and how have you been able to track them down? If you don't mind me asking. Okay, so I'm super glad that you asked that question. Um, I, I didn't. I'll, I'm I'll be very straight up. I didn't have a passion for the set until I got the Chamberlain. Once I got the Chamberlain, and I read up on it. Even, you know, I, I had a, the cursory knowledge, but after understanding more about the set, I just, I, I it's, it's, it's the perfect, it's the perfect thing for me to chase. Cause I want to find, I want to have something really cool. That's rare and something that's old to chase. And so I thought that, you know, this will be, this will be great to, to, you know, to go after. And I just counted down the days until I got the Chamberlain in the mail. And I remember I, I was sitting right where I'm sitting now when I opened, when I opened that one, that was one of the best mail days I've ever had. It might be the best mail day that I ever had. And it's by far not the most expensive card that I've, that I purchased, but it's one card in my collection. One of a few that I just know is, um, is, is impossible to, to ever replace. So, um, that one was simply fi- by finding, by searching Wilt on eBay. I happened to search it at the right time. I bought it less than a half an hour later. I spent a, a large amount of money on it. Um, but the other one that I found, this one is one of my very favorite card stories that, that I have. So can I can I tell it? Do we have a couple minutes for me? To yeah, tell you I, story? I well, I will always make time for a Jim King card story. <laughs> yes. I'm converting you to Jim Cape. I'll take it. So um, at, la- at the 2018 National in Cleveland, I didn't buy a single card. And I've, I've taken some flack from, from friends on that. But I looked over the entire the entire place and I didn't find a single card. Well, there was one table that was a vintage uh, a vintage table that had a lot of vintage basketball. Um, there, were, there were only a couple of tables that had you know, primarily vintage basketball, but this was one of them. And I walked up and I said, hey, do you have any 1968 Topps Test basketball? And the guy kind of took a step back a little bit and he's like, why are you asking about that? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a, an older guy. I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. And uh, so I think he was like, why are you asking about 68 Topps basketball? And how do you even know what it is? And so I started talking to him about it. He's like, well, you're not going to believe this, but just a couple hours ago, I had a guy walk in here with a PSA 7 Jim King that I that I bought from him, and listen, I I will sell this to you if you want. If you don't want it, you know, for the price that I that I give to you, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go put it on eBay, and I'm going to get fifteen hundred bucks for it. And so I said, well, what do you want for it? And he said, I need a thousand dollars. And I was like, oh man, that's a lot of money for a guy that I don't even I've never even heard of this guy. I don't even know who Jim King is. And like I'm like a thousand bucks, like. And so I walked away and I got on the the internet to, to basically find out what the prices were. I checked the PWCC history tool and there are some cells on there, but it's hard to find uh, it's hard to find really any details. Like most of these cards, they've never been sold publicly. Like seriously, most of the twenty two cards you never there's no public sales out there. So I didn't find anything on the PWCC site that was super helpful. So I looked at a couple of the um, the major auction houses, and I can't remember if it was Robert Edwards or one of them. 
that was uh, that had a Kazi Russell that had sold and it had sold the previous year the year and it sold for like seven hundred dollars. And I know who Kazi Russell is, right? And um, he wasn't one of, he wasn't one of the greatest of all time, or, or I don't even know if he's a Hall of Famer. I kind of don't think he is, but he had a decent career and he was in most of the major sets there for a couple of years. Um, and so I thought he had to be more valuable than Jim King, but I thought I'll offer this guy. The, the you know close to the amount that that the Cassie Russell sold for and see what he says. So I think I offered him six or seven hundred bucks, and I I think I offended him. The look on his face told me he was not happy with the with the offer that I made. I think he felt like he was being generous with a thousand dollar offer. I walked away and didn't feel good about it. If if his feelings hadn't been so hurt, I might have even given him the thousand bucks. But um, I didn't. I couldn't go back to his table after you know seeing that negative look on his face. <laughs> And then I saw the card go up on eBay, and sure enough, he had to buy it now, $1,500 on it, and I thought, he'll never sell it for that. Well, card was up card was up like a week or so, and one day I went to search 1968 tops, and it wasn't there. And I thought, well, that's weird. So I looked at the sold listings, and sure enough, the card sold for $1,500. And I was just so mad that he was right, that he was able to sell it for what he said he was able to sell it for. Well, several months went by, the card never surfaced, which was to be expected. Cards like this don't ever don't ever surface. And then one day, when I did my search, I found that the 1968 Jim King PSA 7 that had sold for $1,500 was being auctioned, open auction, starting from 99 cents. And I thought, well, this will be interesting to see what it goes for. I put in a, a, a pretty high bid. I can't remember what it was exactly, but I won it, won it for like seven or $800. And uh, it's it's graded in the first generation of PSA holders, the one with the the little hologram, little uh, PSA hologram that's on the back. The case is super clean, the card is super clean, and for a seven, it just it just looks beautiful. I still don't know hardly anything about Jim King. The fact that he averaged 16 points in two seasons, like you just said, isn't something that I necessarily knew. But what I do know is that there's 182 original tops test cards that have been graded by PSA and with you know cards some cards being regraded and very few being ungraded I have to imagine that the total population of this set is not too much higher than that um, the average card uh, of the the average of the 12 cards at 12 or 22 guys has eight cards that are in, that are in existence that are known um, and to me that is as cool as it gets, you know. In 1997, the the P, the Fleer Company made the Precious Metal Gem set. There are 100 cards, and the first 10 are green. Those are from, you know, those are from 22 years ago. These cards are from 51 years ago, and there are there are the same number or, or around the same number of each of those cards as there are the green cards. But you're talking about almost all Hall of Famers impossible to find with people who have them in their collections who will never let them go as evidenced by the fact that they never sell. So again, I, I, I'm going to be accused by everybody who listens to this as, as, as being somebody who's just pumping the cards, but they're not for sale. They're not going to be for sale. And uh, if anyone knows of any that are out there that could possibly be bought at the right price, I would just love to know where they are. And I would love to have a chance at them if um, if somebody is looking at, at moving, I'd love to. I'd love to build the set around a PSA one Wilt Chamberlain. Do I think there's any chance of me finishing this set in my lifetime? 
I think there's a very low probability, but, uh, but yeah, man, I am, I am ultra passionate about it and just really grateful that you would uh, give me a little bit of time to, to talk to you about it today. Well, uh, from an outsider's perspective, because I don't own any, um, I do own a lot of vintage cards, even though I, I don't, you know, I don't post them as much as I should. It appeals to me because it's, you know, you can, people can say what they want about value and whatever, but it, it's a part of the creation process. And just yes. having something like that, that, you know, leads to the finished product or, you know, because we, we, we wouldn't have the 69 or the 70 set in, in some of the sets of the 70s probably were it not for this test set, even though their initial test run, for all we know, didn't really materialize. Well, we, we, you have to think that that laid the groundwork. And the fact that even on the front, they resemble the 71 tops, which is one of my favorite sets. Um, I know you're fond of yep. that set and you're Pete Maravich in that set as well. But um, the fact that it um, really manifested itself in that set several years later shows us that, yes, it is, you know, it did work. It was part of the creation process. It is a piece of history worth owning. And you having that card, you can tell somebody about the history of basketball cards um, in an era that's not really documented. You know, we're still discovering stuff. We're still talking about why were the uniforms backwards. So um, it's important to have these visual aids that will help us to teach those things. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you were able to come on here and tell my listeners a little bit more about it. You know, I know, I know I kind of started wrapping it up there and you did too. Can, can I mention, can I mention just a couple last things that I think are, are awesome that are, that are, that while we're here, you know, talking about something that is probably not going to be talked about anywhere else for, for years to come. Can I mention a yeah, couple last ahead. quick things? So the first thing is this, I just want to highlight, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but, but just think about this for a second. Okay. Wilt Chamberlain played from the early sixties into the mid 70s. He was on one team that was considered maybe the greatest team of all time in the Philadelphia 76ers that was able to beat those great Boston Celtics, those Celtics teams that won 11 championship 11 11 championships, one team was able to beat them. It was the Philadelphia 76ers led by Wilt Chamberlain. He has one card that was originally in a Philadelphia 76er uniform. There are 14 of them known to exist. Hmm. I just, like that, that story to me is just one that hasn't been told. That's an amazing thing that that exists. And again, it just, it's awesome. It's awesome to own one. The thing about it, I'm super proud of it. It's a one. And this is the other thing that I wanted, that I wanted to point out about the set. Most of the cards in the set, as I look at the PSA report right now, like I said, 182 total cards. There's zero tens. There's four nines with three being three of them being qualifiers. There's 63 eights with 34 of those being qualified being qualified. There's 65 sevens with two of them being qualified. There's 32 sixes with three of them being qualified. 12 fives, three fours, zero three, or sorry, one three, zero twos, zero one point fives. And then there's one, one. <laughs> right. So I don't know what happened to mine. I tried to, I, I asked the, the owner about it. He told me where he acquired it, which was a card show a long time ago. And he's the one who specifically actually got it graded. Um, 
he 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 actually bought that one and an eight. Uh, I believe it was a qualified eight at the same time, and and uh, he actually kind of forgot about this one that he had. Moved his moved his higher end one a long time ago, but finally got this one graded, and and uh, I was grateful that he moved it to me. But what story does this card have to tell? It's a it's a one. It's qualified. Like, do you ever look at your cards? I I bet you of all people when you look at your seventy two set right? And you look at some of those cards that are autographed and, and some of them are like my Chamberlain are more well-loved than others to think about where the card actually came from and how it got to be here in your collection is just, it's an awesome thing to sort of consider. I wish we could figure out the answers to those things sometimes, but, um, that's one of the things that I love about mine is I just don't know where it's been. And I, I just wish, I wish I could kind of see the stories of, of where it came from and how it, how it got to be where it is today. All right. Well, and that's why it's important that we document these things. We talk about them. We podcast about them. um, And hopefully we pass them on to future generations. All right. So, Adam, thanks once again. um, And I'll be catching up with you soon. Thanks, man. All right. There you have it. That was our conversation about the 1968 Topps test set. Um, An interesting little side note. Since that episode was recorded... Robert Edwards Auctions had a Zelmo Beatty from this set for sale, and that card ended for $1,140. And this was a raw copy. Um, you know, one of the corners was a little bit dinged, um, but $1,140. I thought that was pretty incredible. Uh, it, it was cool to see another one of these surface right after we had talked about them. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I will do my best to post pictures from this set this week on my Instagram which is at Wax Museum Podcast. And maybe I can convince Adam to show off his Wilt and his Jim King as well. So I don't think I'm going to have to beg him too much. Um, in the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.